This is the Education Gadfly Show. Takes me back to 1982 when I was a DJ in upstate New York. Honestly, it's like yeah. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my co-host, the Beyonce of education reform, Robert Pendicio. No, no, no. We're going to make, make some lemonade. Out you of, turn out of lemons lemonade? into lemonade. Yeah, that's there just my day job. It is. I know, you know, we were chatting earlier. We know nothing about this album. We are like so too old and or something my, my to be in on weapon this. My is I've got an 18-year-old daughter. Oh. So I, you know, remain current. But because she has not downloaded the album yet, I've not heard yes. a note of it. Well, I did hear a great interview about Beyonce as a businesswoman on uh, NPR's Marketplace. So that, that, you know, really just tells you all you need to know about my media consumption habits. They, well, I mean, she's clearly got a model. She's, you know, she drops these albums in the middle of the night and the next day, it's all anybody can talk about. So mm. it's good to be Beyonce. It Not so is. good to be Jay-Z, just saying. Is it good to be Robert Pendicio? It's very good to be Robert Pendicio. There are people in the world with real problems and I am not one of them, sir. Wow. There you go. Mr. Optimistic. Hey, better be optimistic in this business. You know, it does seem like you're more cheerful ever since the uh, presidential campaign left New York State. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah. All right. It, and it's now, it's in, in my home state of Maryland this week. I got some robocalls the other day. I was so excited oh, about that. Oh, goodness. Uh, we were having such a nice chat. You had to go bring that up. All right. Lots to cover on Education Front. Clara, let's get started. Let's play Pardon the Gadfly. The unexpected passing of music icon Prince has many folks reflecting on his legacy. Is it true that his influence reached the realm of education as well? No. No, 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 of course it's true. Yes, yes, that was a leading question. I was very surprised by this, weren't you? Uh, So our our good colleague Kevin wrote a really great piece about this charter school that Prince had a role in getting off the ground. In Minnesota. And it turns out, I mean, this has been this steady drumbeat of stories, a lot of them just lovely about uh, Prince. Apparently he was a very charitable guy. And Mm -hmm. and here's a list of some of the things that he he, uh, helped fund uh, Van Jones' Yes We Code. Mm -hmm. He gave a million dollars to Harlem Children's Zone. Did Mm -hmm. you know this? I did not know that. Out of nowhere, something called the Eau Claire Promise Zone, which is a preschool outfit in Columbia, South Carolina, on huh. and on and on. So apparently very he's cool. a very generous dude. And and the school in Minnesota, it is what we wonks would call a, quote, dropout recovery school. Sure. This is for kids who tend to be overage, under credit, uh, who, for whom the traditional high school was not a good fit. Uh, kids in particular who are interested in the recording industry and get to do some, mm-hmm. uh, shall we call it, career and technical education uh, in the recording industry. Now, you look at the school's results and not surprisingly guess what the test scores stink and you well know. that's the nature of these schools but that's the nature of these schools and it is a, it is one good point that says this the, it, I think it's hard to figure out how to judge school quality of high schools in general and then this particular niche of high schools is very tough but look uh, you know great great sign that somebody wanted to do something innovative in education. Of course, they ended up doing it through a charter school because that's right. just the easier way to do it these days. Yeah, yeah. By the way, uh, very quickly, my favorite Prince education story that has emerged since yep. he passed on here in Washington. Apparently, at the height of his fame, he was doing a show at the Verizon Center and called, uh, I, I may pronounce the school incorrectly, Gallaudet. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Right down the block. And said, hey, I want to do a free show there tomorrow. Right. It was This was written up in the For Washington the Post. And exactly. Yeah. WETA did a full show uh, 
uh, for the students with no billing, just they showed up and there was Prince doing That's a show on the campus. Cool. Isn't that cool? That is cool. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Now, now, this has all been feel good stuff. Clara, give us something that, oh, no. so we can complain about something and, oh. and criticize somebody. Oh, no. All right. Wait till you hear this. Our good friend Rick Hess recently co authored a piece. <laughs> we get to criticize Rick. Rick. Yes. Yes. And former host of the Education Gadfly <laughs> Show. Okay. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, Clara. Go ahead. Recently co authored a piece calling for education reformers to increase parental accountability when it comes to their children's education. Should reformers be meddling with parenting at any level? Did Rick Hess fall asleep next to a pod? I, I can't believe this. Well, I can't now believe he this. co-wrote it with his colleague Gerard Robinson at AEI. Okay. They were picking up on a bill from Mississippi authored by, I believe, an African-American legislator. State legislator, yeah. Who, who basically wants... Uh, as far as I understand it, teachers to grade parents. No, no. Which is no. a horrible idea. Oh my right? goodness. Even if we can agree right. that there are plenty of irresponsible parents out there, that parenting matters a whole lot, that we would all be better off if parents would get their act together. This is such a horrible idea. And and Rick seems to be making some effort to distance himself from the actual bill. <laughs> he kind of is, yeah. So I, maybe don't use that as your hook then. Yeah, I, I, I questioned him about this on Twitter this morning. He very quickly backed away saying no he thought the bill was Orwellian but he, I guess he thinks the idea is good but then later on in the piece what? he also says well, that what's uh, this, the idea I, I don't know I mean that we should sort is. of bemoan the fact that some parents are idiots I mean okay uh, let's well, do it let's that. bemoan okay. Robert some parents are idiots look let me be serious about this for a second when I left the classroom there were two things that I really wanted to see improve uh, that I think would improve educational outcomes one was curriculum which I've done a lot of work on the other is parenting but good lord that's not the same thing as a Evaluating parents and putting a government agency, a well, school in charge of evaluating parents. Look, I, I do think there's a lot of work we can do in terms of raising the level of parenting, not by telling people how to raise their children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked to Dan Willingham about this a lot over the years. But, you know, s- simple guidance, like mm-hmm. uh, read to your children. Uh, pu- think of a public serv- uh, public health campaign, like mm-hmm. the, the, the same thing you would have for, say, uh, uh, drunk driving pre- uh, prevention or uh, not smoking in front of your kids, etc., yeah. etc. Uh, read to your kids, talk to them, mm-hmm. use full sentences, ask them questions, turn off the screens, sure. et cetera, et cetera. That makes sense to me yeah, to kind of help parents right. uh, uh, prepare their kids for schools. But Lord, let's not yeah. suggest, even even suggest that we should somehow be evaluating no, that, that's right. And, and, and nudges from Hollywood, for example. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, you know, so awful that the whole Cosby thing uh, after his oh, history. Right. But, you know, look back to the Cosby show and people would argue that this was a, you know, they were teaching parents how to be good parents. And, yeah. and that had a big influence on the culture. Yep. You know, Robert, there's one really great way to help uh, people be better parents, Uh-oh. and and that is of course help young people to wait oh, until they're ready again. to be a parent. Gotta 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 put that. But in oh, there, I'm not you? allowed to talk about it because I'm a man, so I can't talk about how maybe we should you know teach sex ed and have uh, long acting so, um, uh, reversible. Clara, is, is, is there another topic, Clara? Is there? Please bail us out, please. Topic number three. The New York Times recently wrote that the opt-out movement has diversified its ranks and now includes many more parents of color. Is there any evidence to, to support this claim? <laughs> no. <laughs> Next. Yes, that's it. So that's all the time we have. Kate Taylor of the New York Times. A curious piece. Like Alexander Russo did uh, an analysis of this and, and frankly took her down pretty. And, and I think it was fair. You know, anytime that you have a news reporter showing up on what is in effect the op-ed page, mm-hmm. or in this case, what was it the weekend review or right. what do they call the it? Sunday weekend review. Uh, you know, it had a label news analysis, right? You say, oh, so that's what the cool kids call it. You know, it now. you're like, okay, so is this sort of an opinion? Kind of. So she was trying to make the case that, uh, well, she, first of all, the premise is that 
people have criticized the opt-out movement for being something mostly about white parents, Hashtag about uh, middle-class so parents, opt-out so white. Uh, and guess what? There's hard evidence to that effect yeah. that when you look at the places where the opt-out numbers are the greatest, they tend to be white middle-class. The kids who opt out, by the way, tend to be t- relatively low-performing sure. middle-class kids. Interesting, right? But she writes this whole piece saying, you know, in effect that, well, but but now it's it, there's some signs that, after, that, that, you know, people of color are getting in on this signs. as well. Two anecdotes, three okay. maybe, as far as I can tell. No evidence, no data, yeah. you know a few anecdotes. I, now that you say this, last year I remember doing a, a bit, bit of analysis. Uh, I got got a hold of some data in the state of New Jersey uh, of, the, of the top opt-out districts, and it turned out that I think eight or nine of the top ten opt-out districts were almost exclusively affluent, almost entirely white. I should actually go back yeah. uh, and, and see what that's like this year. And why does this matter, Robert? Does this matter? Of course it matters because, you know, it's uncomfortable, but, uh, you know, I, I say this all the time. Data is what drives ed reform. No testing, no data, no data, no charters, no choice, no ed reform movement. Uh, And who are the people who disproportionately benefit from the ed reform movement? It's low-income families of color. The greatest Mm -hmm. success of the ed reform movement has clearly been urban charter schools. So this is if if you take away the data, you take away the moral authority uh, for that movement. Now, when you you unwind, you know, again, go back in history. Why are we doing standards-based reform? Why do we have testing? Why do we have accountability? Well, it's because previously we had a system where the standards, the expectations were different from district to district and generally affluent districts aimed high. They were trying to get their kids ready for college, AP, et cetera. Uh, Places where there were lots of poor kids were aiming much, much lower. And even today, we still have evidence, new studies coming out, teacher bias, having lower expectations for poor and minority kids. We have situations where where poor and minority parents are more interested in their kids going to college than than white and middle class parents are worried about low expectations in the classroom. Uh, You know, at the same time, 90% of the parents think their own kids on track because they're being told that their kids on track. So, you know, in the absence of standards and and statewide tests, what you have are wildly different expectations, largely based on race and class. Yeah, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but I don't think it's completely outrageous and unfair to say that those with the least to lose are the most likely to want to opt out. Mm. Very well said, Robert. Thank you. I only wish that Prince had written a song about it. Maybe he did. Maybe maybe he did. We'd have to pay for his music to find out. Okay, that is all the time we've got for Pardon the Gadfly. Now it's time for everybody's favorite, Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. Very briefly, favorite Prince song. Oh, man. Really? I've got to pick one. Uh, 1999. Yes. I'm a little yeah. Red Corvette yeah. guy Are myself. Are you? Well, Purple yeah. Rain's not bad great. either, I right? Know. I mean, Takes me back on. to 1982 when I was a DJ in upstate New York. Honestly, that's what yeah. I did. Oh, I've been goodness. listening to the Tribute Prince channel ever since. Yeah. I just can't help myself. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, very, very sad. What a yes. talent. What a talent. Okay. So, speaking of talent, we got some talent out there in education research. We do. We got a new NBER working paper. It's got some unsettling news here. I don't know Uh if you guys probably saw this one. Uh, Tom D. and colleagues examined the prevalence and implications of teachers tampering with student test scores on the New York Regents exam. Yikes. Cheating. We're talking about cheating. Well, it's it's called manipulation in the study. Cheaters who cheat. Um, The analysts focus on Regents exams between 2003-4 and 2009-10 in New 
York City, since those data can be reliably linked to students. And then just a little background. In order to qualify for a local diploma, Robert, you're going to know more about this than I do. Uh, the lowest degree available in New York used to be the local diploma. Correct. Okay. So students entering high school before the fall of 2005 had to score at least a 55 on all five regents exams. That was English, math, science, U.S. history, government, and global history geography I think that's right um, so that's the 55 was the magic score okay yep. and then not the, a very uh, high score by the way in the fall of 2008 so this mm. is what happened uh, those local diplomas were eliminated and students were required to receive at least a 65 right. on I-5 test so they bumped it up um, so then up until 2012-2013 regents exams were graded by teachers from the students own schools I don't know if you remember this that. I did not know I taught elementary school not yes. high school well we used to do something similar when I was mm-hmm. teaching but I digress um, and the exams w- that were just below that proficiency cutoff, it was automatically, the policy was they were automatically rescored. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe something went wrong. Right? Oh, and let me guess, Mirabile Dictu, so, turns out they passed. <laughs> the analyst document clear. <laughs> we call that credit recovery. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> analyst document Ouch. clear spikes around the cutoffs in an otherwise smooth test score distribution. Oh, you got to look at this no. figure. It just goes, bam, just like straight <sighs> off the charts. Um, since the scores immediately below the cutoffs appear less frequently than expected from a well-behaved empirical distribution, their words. Mm. Um, as a point of comparison, they then show the score distributions for standardized math and ELA exams taken by kids mm-hmm. in grades three through eight, which was a nice, smooth distribution. Okay, by the way, those states are obviously centrally scored you right. know, by somebody else. All right, in analyzing the magnitude, then they say, okay, how bad is it? Okay, um, they estimate that teachers inflated roughly 40% of test scores no near the way. cutoff. Near the cutoff. Near the cutoff. Oh. Inflating scores for students who would have failed the test by a small margin raised the probability of his or her graduating from high school by approximately 27%. Yikes. They also estimate that the black-white achievement gap would be about 5% larger in the absence of test score manipulation. Black and Hispanic students and those with lower baseline scores, those with worse behavioral records, benefited more from the manipulation in the mm-hmm. aggregate because you got more numbers of those kids near mm-hmm. the cutoff. Um, they also find evidence of manipulation for higher cutoffs on elective exams. So this is interesting, right? Um, because those elective exams often provide students with other benefits such as being able to take an advanced course or automatic admission to some public colleges mm. or the granting of college credit. Thus, the analysts surmise that teachers are acting out of altruism, their word, mm-hmm. for students, oh. um, especially since there was no evidence that they manipulate scores to receive bonuses because they looked at this teacher bonus plan mm-hmm. and no evidence there. And there was no evidence, evidence that manipulation was impacted by test-based accountability because they did all these fancy things around no child left behind and not. Yeah, fair enough, but come on. Um, and then, so in 2011, the State Board of Regents ended the practice. Finally, after the, I think the there was an ex- of teachers grading. Their <laughs> well, there own was exams, an expose. Right? Mike probably remembers there was some expose in Wall Street Journal that yeah. then they dug into it and found all this stuff. Um, so then anyway, not long after, guess what? They couldn't find evidence of any manipulation anymore. Mm. Um, they say, and this I don't know, this kind of seemed pretty harsh, but they say that manipulating scores may have been a cultural norm among New York high schools in which students were spared any sanctions involved with failing exams, including retaking the test or being ineligible for a more advanced high school yeah. diploma. It was I mean, hard-hitting mm-hmm. stuff. I, I take the point, you know, and, and I've been in positions where you're grading your own students or your mm-hmm. school's own students' scores. So I, I understand this idea that it's 
altruistic. I, yes and no. I mean, you know, if a, if a point or two is a difference between a kid repeating a grade or not getting credit, yeah, sure, it's human nature to say, well, couldn't this be, isn't, isn't it possible to interpret that mm-hmm. as, so it comes from a good place, and I'm making air quotes as I say that, mm-hmm. but let's be candid about who this helps, not the kids. And and so the motivation is to make the school look better. Oh, basically. I don't, you know, I, I almost you know. Don't, and, it and does matter. it come from the principal? I mean, we've seen some of these real cheating cases where we've you know turns yeah. out it was not just the teachers; it was a whole mm-hmm. conspiracy involving the sure. principal or even ahead of that. Right. Right. So it, this isn't that, and I understand but, that, but it's still. But don't you think mm. they're going to drop out? Like of if course. you're you're going to think they're going to drop out, then what does that do? Right, right, right. That's so, exactly the point. I mean, that's kind of altruistic. And then with those kids, but then on the kids with the other end, right? Maybe they've just been working so hard you know and they are going to not be able to take this advanced course right. you know if they don't get this extra point right so, so I don't yeah, know That's it comes tricky. from a good place but it's still but I mean just it's really unwise policy right because like you I used to do this I'm like yeah. we literally at one point were grading our own students exams you know and you're just like oh seems like a bad idea Terry yeah. why did you miss that one right. we taught that last Wednesday or, or like, worse oh, that oh I know it. you know that this was just a careless right. mistake right right yeah. <laughs> not that you and I and we never did that Robert of, but I'm just saying for fend amber <laughs> and this is why we need standards <laughs> right, right. thank you is why that is the moral standards. of Cause the look, story these kids they're going to go into the real world you know and if they're not ready or they're going to be told yeah okay you graduated from high school now you should go to college because right. and the community yes. college says you're eligible to come and what happens to them yeah. remedial they end up say this all the time the world is they're prepared to judge off. these kids a lot more they harshly not than we better do. off but who wants to be the one to teach them um, the lesson tag on it you yeah. know you want the faceless bureaucracy that's scoring the test to deliver the message, right? Not your, not your ninth grade teacher. There goes Amber kicking the can down the road. <laughs> I, know, I know. Look, that's what makes someone like Checker Finn so special. He's been willing to be that person for decades now. <laughs> that's right. All right. That is all the time we've got for today. Until next week, I'm Robert Pendison. I'm Mike Petrae. The Thomas Before the Institute, signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.